0: Welcome back to Spirit School. Man, I feel like it's been a while. It's been two weeks because I was in end-of-life doula training last week, and that's what this podcast episode is about, um, just kind of going through this exciting emerging field in the palliative care system um, around end-of-life doulas. Now, of course, this is not new. Um, I'm sure that there has been end-of-life doulas in some capacity in most cultures, before you know we kind of industrialized the hospital system and people stopped dying at home and started um, you know doing their end of life in the hospital system. I'll get into a little bit more of that later but I really wanted to talk about this and the journey that I took through this training because I think that this is a field that so many people would be amazing at. So I kind of wanted to go through What I experienced last week, what we learned in end-of-life doula school, and what could potentially come next for somebody who is interested in this field. So hopefully this is of interest to you. Um, I'm sure it will be. And just so you know, too, I never prepare my podcast. I didn't even prepare for this one. But I am going to read some of my notes because I took, (laughs) I think, literally, like you'll hear the pages flipping. I took 49 pages of notes. I was so interested in this topic. So I just kind of want to go back a little bit. So three years ago, I first heard the term of death doula. And I was intrigued. I feel like I was literally called to learn more about this. And I started researching it years ago and I was extremely interested in it, but never took action because I had just had my second child. I had just launched, I was about almost a year into my Squamish Medium business um, and things were really picking up then. Back then I was booking like 18 months out, like it was insane. But I was also like $20, so (laughs) that would probably explain why. But um, yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of um, interest to look too much into it, but I did follow a few people on YouTube and Instagram and was very curious about it. Fast forward a few years There's a college here in Vancouver called Douglas College that started doing a death doula certification program and it was very legitimized because it was through an actual college and I looked into the program a year and a half ago again when it came up but the structure of it it was about a 300 kilometer round trip and it was over the course of three weekends. And as a mom of two who works full time plus has a practice, that's not a feasible structure for me to get that certification. Fast forward to four months ago my work the First Nations Health Authority announced that they had participated in creating the cultural sensitivity portions of the end-of-life doula and back then they were calling it from death doula to end-of-life doula training. So this was like you know four times over three years that spirit had brought to my awareness um, this end-of-life doula work. So I still looked it up, it still didn't work on my schedule, I didn't want to spend that much time away from my children, but fast, um, I went home that night and I told my husband, who's not always incredibly supportive of me doing all this extracurricular stuff, <laughs> but I told him, I said, Nick, I, I need to do this, this is something I need to do. And he said, okay, let's look it up. Let's see what we can do about this. And we went onto the website and we were going to look up when I could register um, to prepare for him to solo parent for three weekends in a month. And lo and behold, no joke, that day they announced a week long immersion part of that program in Squamish, where I live. Like, I almost died. I signed up for the course right away. I'm like, if this isn't a sign, then I have no idea what a sign is. And I was very lucky to get in because they only took 16 students and it filled up almost right away. And there was a lot of people in my town who wanted to take it. And I think there's only about three of us that ended up getting in. And so that is how I initially became interested in this field. Now, you know, I'm always super straight with you guys. I'm always vulnerable and honest. So I'll be vulnerable and honest to let you know that I had very arrogant and very, um, egotistical notions behind what I as a medium could do in the service world of end of life doula care. Some of my early thoughts around this was, Well, if a medium could end up doing end-of-life doula care and we talk to people who know that they're going to die, maybe, just maybe, providing them evidence that life continues will then dissipate some of that fear of their transition home. Or maybe, just maybe, people want to have deep spiritual conversations near the end and I'm able to provide them with some of my spiritual insights and my spiritual um, thoughts and experiences. This is literally what I thought four months ago before I registered for the course. And looking back, that's a very naive and very egotistical way of thinking about this work after what I know now. Now, we had some mandatory reading we needed to do. I got to tell you, the best book I read, though I did listen to an audible, which is not cheating, um, was Caring for the Dying. I don't know the name of the title yet, but I'll put it in the show notes. It was completely transformational and eye-opening for me on what this work actually is. And so I will tell you what my definition of end-of-life doula is as a role now that I've come out of the other end of this training. And that's really, you know, somebody who advocates and empowers the families and those who are diagnosed with terminal illnesses um, through choices and opportunities um, and resources available for people and their families when they are facing end-of-life care and again this is palliative care for people who are still you know trying to find a cure for their illnesses and this also goes back into hospice where we go from cure to comfort and just really being with the person who is facing their end of life. And so what I found through this wonderful teacher, her website is endwell.ca. You have to look her up. Her name is Tracy and she is likely one of the most beautiful souls i have ever encountered and she is coming on the podcast in january to talk more about this field um but she's been doing it a while and she's you know she helped start the canadian association of -of end-of-life doulas the end goal for this association is to eventually hopefully get it covered by medical services so that everyone could access it as part of a palliative team but at the current time end-of-life doula is really a privately obtained and procured person on the palliative care team. Um, So a lot of the role of the end-of-life doula is just listening. It's literally just holding space and being with somebody. And when I heard that, it took me a while to get used to that because I had all these different preconceived notions around what I could do for somebody who was facing their end-of-life And the more we got through the week and talked about what actually happens at the bedside and what you actually, you know, represent to the family and somebody who's experiencing this is just peace and comfort. It's a calm spirit. It's a calm energy. It's a peaceful energy that doesn't try to fix anything, which is opposite of what we do in mediumship in this spiritual healing service work. It's literally holding space and you know this this term holding space kind of turns me off because it's so used everywhere and I don't think I truly grasped what the depth of holding space meant before I went through this program and I'm sure I'll have new depths as I enter this field of work and actually am able to be with people who are facing their end of life. So other roles that the end-of-life doula have are advocating for the dead and dying, so we learned about advanced care planning, which is a BC, I believe, specific um, legal document that end-of-life doulas can walk through anybody, even if you're facing a terminal illness or not, that really sets in stone in legal matters how you want to die. So if you want to die at home or if you want to die in the hospital, um, if you want heroic measures or if you want a DNR like a do not resuscitate, um, who you want in the room, what music do you want, um, ceremonies and rituals, you can mark all that. You can have uh you can assign your representatives, which is what um the legal aspect of this plan is. So this is what I'm really excited to get into too with this work is helping people plan for their end of life and again you don't need to be facing your mortality at that time when you make this plan like I've already made mine and I've, I've set my representatives so that's how we can kind of like help advocate because we can obtain those plans and make sure that the healthcare teams whether you are in a hospital setting or hospice setting or at home understand and honor the wishes that you set out into place you're a resource person, so you're somebody in the community who knows um, the funeral services, the, the after-death process, um, the options available for bereavement and grief support. Um, so we're really kind of like a leading resource person in this area of death and dying and, and grieving support afterwards. We're respite for caregivers, so the teacher that we had said that most of her requests for, um, end of life sitting and visual work was during work hours, which is actually funny enough, the only time that she was able to do it because people still had to continue working, um, and they could be with their loved ones in the evening and after work, but she, they needed somebody there for a few hours, um, an objective and neutral presence, modeling good communication and boundaries, sometimes can offer counsel but it's more in an empowering way for families so it's using open-ended questions it's like truly like coaching so you're not trying to fix things you're not trying to impart your own wisdom on anyone you're allowing people to come to their own resolutions and their own epiphanies through this process you educate and you're just a comforting presence so these are some of the roles of the end of life doula One of the most powerful words, I I heard so many beautiful quotes and so many powerful aha moments through this whole week, but one of the ones that really stuck with me was life affirming. So having an end of life doula and going through your advanced care plan is really life affirming. And that was such a huge word for me because, you know, in truth, we don't live like we're dying and we might not be dying, but all of us None of us are making it out of here. (laughs) And what I found throughout the week was I really play it safe. I really prioritize my passions over my family. And when we went through this exercise of dying ourselves, and I won't go through the whole exercise, but it was completely fundamentally life-changing for me and the other 15 people that I sat in this classroom with, it really put my life into perspective in a way that I had never had it. And I tell you, I had a near-death experience in 2016. And this exercise that they put us through um, was more powerful and life-affirming than even that experience. So I'm looking forward to actually doing this exercise with people. I might be doing it in my development circle. We will see. But um, yeah, life-affirming. Just living like you know you're not going to live forever. And what does that look like for you? I know what it looks like for me now. So that was very interesting for me. The other thing I really wanted to talk about was when we did our introductions on the roundtable on what we were doing here, we had all been called to this course. We had all been called to this practice. But we all came from different walks of life. I was the only medium, but I know... Actually, a lot of my medium friends are getting this calling. We had a university professor. We had somebody who was a surfer and worked at a surfing retreat. We had a doctor, a nurse, uh, a health food store owner we had a carpenter that had been injured so he wasn't able to do his carpentry work anymore we did have some people who were had worked in hospice care before elderly care Um, we even had a bartender it was a huge variety of beautiful souls and the way that we sat in this week-long like deep immersion we were in a classroom together for a whole week sharing and crying and laughing I got to tell you, there's not much like this setting. I'm actually going to do a retreat next year, I decided, after doing this, because, you know, there's nothing like this, like, immersion of just, like, connecting. You know, I do these classes every other week or once a month, and we do connect, but there's something different about this, like, retreat kind of format. So mark my words, I'm going to be doing something next year around that for sure. So I also just wanted to get into what end-of-life doulas do not do, what we're not legally allowed to do. And we actually do need really expensive insurance when you're a certified uh, end-of-life doula. You do need to get some insurance, but end-of-life doulas do not feed or give beverages to the dying, including ice chips because obviously that's a hazard. We're not allowed to adjust um, people. You have to have a nurse do it or a family member because of liabilities. You cannot give medical advice. You cannot get involved in the family drama in any way. You can't discourage people on their process that they've chosen. You cannot give medications, not even a vitamin. You cannot breach confidentiality. You cannot act unethically. You can't make physical adjustments, um, and you can't make assumptions, which I found quite interesting. So what's interesting about this too is that if you're a volunteer, like you're a volunteer at a hospice, you are actually able to do these things. But if you are a certified end-of-life doula, you're not allowed to because of the liabilities. We learned the difference between palliative care and hospice care, so palliative still being that cure and comfort as hospice is more just comfort it's like those end of days you're not quite in act of dying which is when the visual process would start but it's where you go um you know to get that comfort care we learned a lot about sympathy versus empathy which i found amazing there's a ton of videos we watched so of course Brene brown is a big like speaker and researcher on empathy um, very eye-opening so we had to learn because we're all fixers people who are drawn to the healing arts we want to fix things and so we had to kind of learn how to have a conversation conversation around grief and fear and intense fear and not try to fix it with comforting words. We heard we heard about the, you know, the saying around toxic positivity which was like, whoa, mic drop moment for me. I can't tell you how many people I know who live by toxic positivity. So it's like, you know, somebody's dying and you say to somebody, "Oh, they're going to a better place." Right? That's not helpful. It's not helpful. So one of the biggest takeaways I learned from that when you're talking to somebody is around saying things like you know, I, I I don't know what to say, but I'm so glad that you told me. It's really just witnessing and bearing witness to somebody's experience and somebody's feelings and emotions without feeling the need to fix it, and even the energy behind that, it's so comforting. It takes a lot of pressure off of that. Um, we we learned interesting enough about um, medical assistant in dying. It's called Maid, So this. Um, I don't know what they used to call it, but as end-of-life doulas, we're not allowed to bring it up to anybody, but if somebody brings it up to us, then we can talk to them about the process, but we had a guest speaker come in who only deals with May deaths, and an interesting stat around this that I found very fascinating was, you know, only a certain amount of people are eligible for it, like you have to apply for it, and then there's a 10-day waiting period where you need to, you know, really think about it and consider it and then you are approved it and you are allowed to fill out the prescription and a doctor would then administer it but about 80% of people who approved it and were panded that prescription actually never needed it there was something about the empowerment and the ability to choose because you lose choices when you're in that palliative and hospice care. Your choices go away. So having that made, having that end-of-life option in your back pocket was so empowering to people. It actually carried them through to their passing in an empowered way. And I found that to be quite beautiful, actually. Um, So going through here, you know, we talk about death culture. You know, we're we look at about 100 years ago and a lot of people were dying at home in their communities and then the hospital system was really kind of like industrialized and the hospital setting is not really the optimal place to give birth or to die you know doctors are busy I was actually surprised at the stats of how little doctors have seen people die because they're not there right it's usually the nurses and the families that are there taking care of the people and you know, people don't want to pass with like noisy machines around them and hooked up to hooked up to different machines. They'd rather die in the comfort of their bed, surrounded by family photos and beautiful music and plants and animals and pets and children. And the hospital system is just not conducive to that. Um, the other part of the deaf culture is how we don't talk about death. You know, my husband refuses to talk about it. I'm very lucky that my parents are very open people. And I was able to talk to them last week. I was so excited about everything I was learning. And they were completely open to hearing me talk about it. So a lot of the end-of-life doula work is really kind of normalizing the conversation around death and dying. And giving people space to open it. Like as an example, tonight... Um, I was outside my daughter's dance rehearsal of all places at a community center and this woman came up to me. She's like, you don't know me, but I know you. This happens a lot because of my Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm what's known as Squamish, Squamish Famous. <laughs> it's quite funny. But um, she's like, you know, I know you went through your end of life doula program last week because I watched your stories on Instagram. And I just want you to know that I'm in this kind of line of work, too. And we ended up having this energizing conversation for over half an hour on death and dying. And people around us were looking at us. But even that very act of having this natural conversation and the beauty of it may spark something in people who are overhearing that can normalize this conversation moving forward so you know death culture in Canada we have many cultures in Canada and of course America too I know have a lot of listeners I actually have listeners now in 28 countries so this might resonate with you where you are I'm talking from a purely Canadian lens but you know we don't talk about death it's something you don't talk about it's like sex it's like taboo and it's literally one of the most natural things that we do in life is die. So that's one of the the real things too that we talk about. I learned that the number one fear of dying is pain. Um, so I also learned that end of life pain control is very well done now. I also learned that because we studied a lot of the near-death experience stats and people who died and came back, you know Anita Morgiano is one of those most famous ones, but people who died and came back during the parts of their death process that looked the most painful and excruciating for the loved ones to witness, they said they didn't feel anything at all, they actually felt a state of euphoria, So that to me was kind of like them fully kind of transitioning to the other side. Um, And so that was really comforting to me. So they talked about this total pain theory around, you know, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's mental, it's physical. It's a total pain. So that was kind of like eye-opening as well. Um, What else do I want to talk about here from this course? We talked about you know, holding space and how to kind of prepare yourself and take care of yourself as an end-of-life doula. And this also can be helpful for anybody who has, is, or will be taking care of their loved ones who's dying. And it's really around, you know, being present and understanding that we're aiming for purification, not perfection. There's no perfect way to die, and there's no perfect way to take care of somebody who... Is in their transition so it's really around just coming with really pure intentions it's about you know before you enter that room before you enter that space you take a few breaths you sit outside you remove your shoes you set your pure intention and you calm your energy before you enter that space because we're busy bodies when we're living and when people are facing the mortality Uh, You know, it's not good to go around them all buzzing and super high energy and a little bit strung out, if I could use that word. So it's really important to slow down and center yourself, um, really connecting to your heart. We talked about elemental breath work, where we talk about breathing in the fire, earth, air, water as like a really good tool to kind of like center yourself and ground yourself before you enter this work. We talked a lot about self-compassion. You know, really understanding that we're truly humans and we're not perfect. Uh, There's a website called selfcompassion.org that has, like, a lot of tools around that. And, you know, there's different ways that we can approach people who are dying to get them to open up about their process. Again, without fixing it, like, asking, like, is there anything causing your anxiety or pain right now? Or what brought you joy today? How is your day? How can I serve you today? And it's really asking these open-ended questions and allowing people to express their fears and their pain. And really, again, not using toxic positivity or trying to dismiss it in any way. Um, Not being a one-upper. It was really funny doing this exercise where we each had our own role. I was actually the empathizer, which was awesome, but we had like a one-upper. We had like you know, a sympathy-er. It was kind of funny hearing the different responses that we do as humans that are completely (laughs) non-helpful. It was super eye-opening for me. We talked about the physical signs of people nearing death from three months onwards, which was really kind of eye-opening. We talked about visualing, which is the act of dying process. It's the point of no return. It could be really intense. It could really last from one to three days. and it's just being present at the bedside it's just letting people know you know i i can't come with you but i can walk you to the gate and i will walk alongside you this entire time and that can be really comforting for people because they feel really alone and they are alone they're taking this venture alone. But of course we know, you're listening to this podcast, that most definitely there's loved ones who come and gather them. I, I hear a theory from Avis Patilla about six weeks out. Uh, people will start talking about their loved ones. Um, as we get closer to the end of end of lifetime, people will start saying you know, have, about the conversations they had with their parents who had passed like 30 years ago. Um, there's that phenomenon that happens, people reaching out from the bedside a lot of people talk about their mothers around this time so this is the kind of stuff that may happen during the visualing um and just you know this is where you kind of step in with that beautiful music and the ceremony and ritual that was requested through the advanced care planning from the person who is dying we talked about a good death and a good death being you know our relationships are all well healed there's a resolution of any regrets they're pain-free and peaceful and there's manageable grief for the families that's kind of what we really want um, when it comes to a good death and we talk about grief right the internal process of loss as an individual as the imprint of the energy of what you just experienced and grief as a reflection of the loss somebody referred to it as the art of living with your heart ripped out of your body You know, nobody's exempt from grief, not even people like me who are mediums and have full faith and and trust that life continues and we do go to a better place. But even us, we're not exempt from grief. So the most important thing to do when you're grieving is to feel the feels and honor them. Don't be strong. Don't think about other people. You need to just kind of process it yourself. We talked about how bereavement is what happens to you, whereas grief is how you feel, and mourning is what you do. We talked about the history of grief and all the different philosophies and philosophers that came up with different, trying to put you know, uh, a meaning around it. So we talked about like Sigmund and Freud, uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Um, a lot of different philosophies around it, which was really kind of eye-opening for me because to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever really experienced grief at that level um, because I was so young when my grandparents passed away. So it's not something that I had been really experiencing myself. And this is really one of the reasons why I wanted to take this course was because I work with so many grieving people and This is one of the few things that comes up in my readings that I can't really relate to. I don't have any references for it. So that was another uh, reason why I want to take this course. So we also talked about some coping mechanisms for grief. So hopefully this helps people who are out there. Like, you know, reaching out to others, fresh air, a ritual, planning ahead. So like a trip or something. Art, art therapy is huge being patient with yourself, knowing your triggers, eating well, sleeping, and uh, resting. We talked a a lot about little griefers, you know, children, because we seem to want to like really protect children, but the best way to help children cope with loss is being as direct and as honest as possible, not using like euthanisms, I think that's what you call it, not, you know, saying like, oh, you know, They went on a little trip because children are like, oh, when are they coming back? It's being really real and telling children, well, they died. They're not coming back. You know, but you can talk about doing legacy work with children who are grieving. You know, this is turning a T-shirt into a stuffed animal. This is making a little pillow for them with a photo of their loved one that, that had died on it it's like you know creating something out of the ashes for the child to to hold on to to kind of like finalize that process with them and we've learned in this course that that's one of the healthiest ways to have children grieve. um again it's not lying to them and it's not trying to you know make light or not even make light but fluff the situation as being as direct and honest as as possible Now, also one of the most fascinating things that we talked about, we actually had a funeral director come and speak to us for a couple hours in the class. And, you know, what happens to the body after you die? Like, I always felt like I wanted to be cremated. Like, I definitely don't want to be buried. But I want to be cremated and I want my ashes to be turned into a crystal. That's my ultimate dream and that's actually in my will. So what I found incredibly fascinating was how environmentally unfriendly our current um recomposting I'll use that word recomposting of of bodies is so burying somebody is very you know you're buying a plot of land at perpetuity and then there's also like cement at the bottom and the body if it's full with um you know the embalmment chemicals um you know a lot of the um, caskets are not, you know, compostable. Um, and then we talk about cremation and the cremation of one body actually is the equivalent in CO2 to driving a car almost 8,000 kilometers. Like that to me was shocking, but there's a lot of new technology coming out now on how to, you know, handle a body after death. And in BC, in Canada, there's four provinces that use a water process, and it's very environmentally friendly it's like carbon neutral and at the end of the water process around the body now I'm not a scientist and I just learned this stuff so I'm not an expert but all you're left with is bones and those bones you can have cremated and that's way more earth friendly or you can even ask for them, apparently, if you want, or you can donate them. Um, there's a lot of different things that you can do. You can also donate your body to different universities and researchers, which I'm actually kind of leaning towards now, to be honest with you. There are also green burial sites in BC. I think there's only two, and one of them is in a town that you have to live there and be born there to be buried there, but it's completely green, Um I won't get into all the details because it's pretty morbid, but it's like pretty much a park. There's not even headstones there. It's completely green. Um, There's also something that I found incredibly interesting, which is there's an organization in Seattle called, I think it's called the Death and it's called the Urban Death Project and it's all around recomposition. So it's it's actually been approved down in Seattle. So it's a space that's like part national park and it's part crematorium, but you're 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 cremated or buried in a very environmentally non carbon, carbon neutral way. So it's a memorial, it's a park, and then it's this recomposition center, we'll call it. Um, And so I'm hoping that this becomes somewhat the norm for people. And again, of course there's going to be religious beliefs. Um, that will counterbalance this, and that's perfectly fine and respectable. I'm not trying to convince anybody out of what they already want to do, but I found it a fascinating part of the program that there's this new technology and this new way of doing things that's coming because we are obviously a lot more Earth-friendly now and Earth-conscious. Now, because the podcast is getting quite long, I'm just going to kind of speed this up, but we kind of went through you know boundaries as a doula around working with the families different boundaries of not overgiving, giving over committing I was actually surprised to learn a few things I was surprised to learn that end of life doulas really only sit with the dying maybe three hours a day um, because it's a lot of energy you can imagine the energy it takes to even just sit and be with somebody in the state I imagine it would be quite beautiful as well Now, it's a little bit like the Wild West because the end-of-life doula profession is very new, like years. So if this is something you're really interested in getting in, you're kind of on the cutting edge of this. Um, So people charge anywhere from $35 to $60 an hour to do this work. Um, When we talk about advanced care planning, it's usually around $100 to do that. And it's like two sessions for about 90 minutes in total. I was very shocked to hear that um, because as we know in like spiritual work, like mediums can hire anywhere from, i got, I've seen like $20, which I used to be all the way up to like over $800 for a 30 minute reading. And then you talk about these end of life doulas that are doing some pretty intense work. And I was shocked to hear my teacher was charging $35 an hour. Um, but it, it is what it is, right? A lot of this work was actually volunteer based up until recently But again we understand what this energy exchange is all about and so the field is actually getting a little bit more formalized and there's also more of a need for it so because unless you can find a volunteer doula in a hospice center which there isn't a whole lot right now because it's such a new field. Your family would procure the end-of-life doula, which could be a barrier for some people, of course. And every doula I talked to before this does do a certain amount of volunteer hours, of course. Like even our teacher, she volunteers at her hospice like three days a week. And then she'll do her end-of-life doula practice when clients come in. Um, but it's usually a couple of days a week as well for just a couple hours so it's not a career where you can like really kind of quit your day job it's definitely compassion and passion work which i'm super passionate about this i can't wait to see where it takes me but you still have a lot of costs associated with doing it so the program cost me um, about eight hundred dollars which was a business expense the insurance for me will end up costing about seven hundred dollars a year um, for the liability insurance um, the planning tools, like the advanced plan caring tools, um, they'll cost you about a hundred dollars for like 50, so like two bucks each. So there is a lot of costs associated with, with doing this work as well. Um, you know, we're lucky in Squamish where the hospital and hospice center, they don't charge for parking, but if you're in a, an urban area, my end of life doula teacher said, you know, she charges $35 an hour and does it two hour minimum but three hour max and by the time she drives there and pays for parking and the resources like she doesn't make anything um she probably is actually at a loss but again it just goes to show you when you're called to this work it's not really about the money but I have to give you what I know um and I found it to be an interesting aspect of this practice because Again, I'm so into business as well. Like I love having my spiritual practice, but I love the business side of it too. So we had almost a full day on the business aspect of -of end-of-life doula work. So that is kind of like the textbook stuff that we covered in the end-of-life doula program. Um, I will tell you, it really energized me, all this discussion. I felt so free talking about dying and death and helping people and just thinking about you know when it comes to my time which will come the options I have like my god I never even thought about dying at home before this course I never thought about it I just fully accepted that I would die in a hospital you know a cold sterile room on an uncomfortable bed surrounded by nothing beautiful um doctors that don't really care because they're so busy and desensitized a little bit. Um, Nurses that are like swamped off their feet. They're the most compassionate people I know, nurses. Um, But, you know, they can't be there for everybody. I know nurses that work so hard they don't even get a break. So... You know, it's a very beautiful field to get in if you are interested in it. I even recommend the program or even some of the resources from the program for people who, um, you know, who will eventually take care of their loved ones. Like I will, um, you know, for my parents when their time comes and when, when God calls them home. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone has any questions. I'm probably going to end it here because this is probably one of my longest episodes ever. I hope you found it interesting. I really kind of wanted to give people the rundown of everything that we learned. Um I will be having Tracy on the podcast next month. So if you have any questions, For an end-of-life doula that I didn't cover in this, email me at squamishmedium at icloud.com or message me on Instagram at squamishmedium and I will make sure that me and Tracy answer them in the podcast in January. So that's it for me. I hope you found it interesting and thank you everyone for listening. Please rate and review this podcast. I'm almost at 10,000 downloads if you can believe it in a year. To me, that's massive. Um... I, I absolutely loved it and also so you know I do have availability finally in my calendar for bookings for readings or intuitive coaching sessions or mentorship so go check out squamishmedium.com if you're interested in the session they're finally available I haven't had anything available for a few months so that's it for me have a good one guys